This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. Love keeps no record of wrongs. 1 Corinthians 13, 5. After 11 years in marriage, and understand it's nothing, it pales in comparison to some who've been in here for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, and maybe even 70 years of marriage. After 11 years of marriage, I know this. I know my wife better than anyone else. I know all of the good and all of the good. Uh, I know everything about her though, right? I know everything that she struggles with. I've seen her struggle. I know her physical struggles, emotional struggles, relational struggles. I know what she wrestles with, with sin and temptation. I know who she is. I know the awesome things about her and I know those things that she's trying to work on and she wrestles with and struggles and she needs help with. I know my bride after 11 years I know those things about her. And I know there's so much more to learn. And there's so many more years to discover. And I'm excited about that journey. But I know and I've seen things and I know this. She's seen things in me. She's seen me at my worst. She's seen my struggles. She's seen my emotional, physical, relational struggles. She's seen my temptations. She's seen my sin. She's seen me at my most evil and wicked. And she's seen me at my best. My wife knows me. Your God knows you. He knows you. He knows your mind. He knows your thoughts. He knows the thoughts that no one else knows. He knows the thoughts that are so wicked and evil you've never expressed them to someone else. He knows the actions that you've done that nobody else has seen. He knows the actions that someone else has seen that you haven't confessed to. He knows the deepest, darkest secrets of your heart. He knows the actions that were the worst that nobody has seen, yet he has And yet God, in his grace, love, and mercy, chose to send his son into this world to take the cross for you, to free you and forgive you of all of those things. My God sees you not for what you've done, but for who, what his son did and who his son is. My God sees you not for your mistakes, your actions, your evil, your wickedness. My God doesn't see your past mistakes. My God sees you as clean. My God sees you as good. My God sees you as holy. My God sees you as the purity that his son cleansed you to be. My God sees you like no one else sees you. And yet my God in his grace and mercy called you brothers and sisters to view each other like he views you. You see, every single thing that I see in my wife and that she sees in me, every struggle, every evil, every wickedness, every thought and every temptation that my God forgave, I'm called to see her like he sees her. I'm called to extend to her the grace and the love and the mercy that he has extended to me. And love keeps no record of wrongs because my God does not keep your record of wrongs. Ephesians chapter five, verse 22. Wives, 
Submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. Since we are members of his body, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am telling, uh, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. So, wives, submit to your husband, and husbands, sacrifice your life for your bride. What does this mean? How can we even understand this in a culture that thwarts and distorts everything that we say as a church? And rightly so sometimes. Oftentimes the church is the one who has distorted what we mean when we say wives submit to your husband or husbands sacrifice your life for your bride. What does that even mean? Does it mean what the culture says it means? Does it mean what the church has portrayed in many ways? Does it mean what TV shows or what the news outlets would say about the church? Does it mean that women are to submit in the way of you don't have a voice, you don't have value, you ought to stay in the kitchen, you ought to cook, you ought to serve, you ought to just do what your husband tells you to do and say nothing else? Is that what it means? Does it mean that men, you get to ward over your wives and, and, and tell them what to do and, and call them to do something and make them do that and hope that they do that and if they don't do it, get on to them? Is this what this means? Or does this mean something radically different? Like, what did Christ do for us? Should we ask the question, what does it mean to submit to your husbands as to the Lord? Or should we just say, submit to your husbands? Should we ask the question, what does it mean for wives to submit as to the Lord? Should we ask the question, what does it mean for husbands to sacrifice like Christ? As a church, do we care that this verse doesn't tell us simply to call women to submit to their husbands and men to sacrifice their life for their wives? It says to do it like Christ did it. And so when we ask the question, well, did Christ submit himself? Did Christ submit himself to come from heaven to find his bride who had rejected him, who had chosen something else, who sinned against him, who willingly chose evil instead of him, who continued to run away from him, who continued to bash him, beat him, mock him, and crucify him? Do we see Christ as the one who came out of heaven into earth and submitted himself to his father and to the people so that he could sacrifice his life for us? You see, when we ask the question, what does it mean for wives to submit to your husband? When you see it in the context of the gospel and see in the context of Christ, you start to think differently. Okay, well, Christ submitted himself to us. Christ submitted himself to uh, his father. Christ submitted himself to this broken world. Christ submitted himself to being beaten and mocking and crucified. Christ submitted himself to being rejected. Christ submitted himself to being run out of, of cities because people were trying to kill him. Christ submitted himself to our weak minds. Christ submitted himself to temptation. Christ submitted himself to a broken world that was full of destitute people, diseased people, frustrating people, sinful people, temptations. Christ submitted himself to the pain on the cross, and yet we think that submission is bad. 
Christ is the picture of what it looks like to biblically, lovingly, graciously, mercifully submit to one another. Not only that, did Christ, not only did Christ submit himself, Scripture tells us to submit ourselves to one another. Not only that, God uh, tells uh, Paul, and Paul says, I, I, I serve Christ. I'm a slave of Christ. The same guy who wrote this to say submit to your husbands is a guy who knew what it meant to submit his life. Now I want you to think about this. Why is it worth submitting? Why is it worth serving? Why is it worth Paul giving his entire life up for Christ? Because there's a joyful submission. There's a good submission. There's a submission that says, I will willfully follow you because when I follow you, it's what's good for me. And, and, and we understand that if Christ has given us all good things in this world and all wisdom has been poured out on us and he loves us infinitely like this, why would I want, not want to follow after him? Why would I not want to submit to my God when everything that I do is good because of him? When everything I have comes directly from him, why would I not want to submit? And men, so this is a challenge to you. If your bride struggles with submitting to you, it might be because you're not a good one to submit to. <sighs> Guys, we got to look at ourselves because what we have to do is we have to go to that next step and ask ourselves, have we fulfilled our responsibility? Husbands, love your wives just as what? Christ loved the church. It doesn't say submit to your husbands. It says submit to your husbands as to the Lord. It doesn't just say uh, sacrifice or love your wives. It says love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And so men... How do we love our brides like Christ loved the church? Did Christ not eat with the rejected in Luke 19? When Zacchaeus, rejected by men and, and uh, hung out with drunkards and gluttons, people that Jesus and the religious leaders would not typically hang out with, did Christ not come to Zacchaeus on that tree and say, I want to have dinner with you and get together your friends. I want to have dinner with them. Okay, maybe that's what Christ's love looks like. You see, in Matthew 4, he called the outcasts to follow him. Those guys who didn't make it into the elite status as religious leaders, who didn't go through the full process and become the leaders over the synagogues, Christ called them to follow after him. And I want you to think through what that means, guys. I want you to think through. That means that he wasn't dealing with the best of the best theologically and spiritually. It means that he was going to go through times where he had to take Peter along to, off to the side and go, hey, don't you remember what I told you? Why are, you, why, are you, why are you wanting to be first again? I told you, man, it's not about being first, it's about being last. Peter, why are you struggling with your faith again? Peter rejects him three times. Don't you know that when Jesus chose him, he knew how difficult it would be? You want to know how, what Christ's love looks like, brothers and sisters? Look at how Christ extended love for those who weren't the peak, weren't the best, weren't the smartest, weren't the leaders of the synagogues. And so every time your spouse struggles, and every time they, 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 you wrestle with their sin, every time they say something and you're like, man, I don't know, every time they say something that hurts you, every time you get frustrated at each other, every time you have that battle, that talk, I want you to remember this. Christ didn't choose the best. He knew he was going to have fights. He knew he was going to have to battle with Peter. He knew the disciples were going to walk away from him. He knew that they were going to reject him at the, at the end time. And yet he still chose them. What does Christ's love, love look like? He loves those who even reject him. 
What does Christ's love look like? He heals the bleeding woman in Mark uh, chapter 5. Y'all remember the bleeding woman? She was kicked out of the city. She wouldn't be able to be a part of different community events. She wouldn't be able to be in the synagogue. She was unclean for over 20 years. This woman was rejected by all people, and yet when she comes to Christ and just touches him, just barely touches him, she, he feels it. He understands what just happened because he healed her. And so he looks at her, and he starts to talk to her because the rejected and the diseased and those who were kicked out are the ones that God extends love for. How much can your spouse do to you that you won't extend love to them? What, what is it about them that you haven't given forgiveness to, love to, mercy to, hope to, for, uh, kindness to? What, could, what can they do that is worse? I want you to continue thinking about this. Matthew chapter 19, when he lets the little children come to him, those who would never be able to follow in after any other rabbi, those who were uh, a pest of the other rabbis, those who were a pest to society, the little ones who were just running around making noise, that's who Jesus wanted to follow after him. Matthew chapter 8, he gives clarity to the mentally ill, the demoniacs, two of them, chained up inside of a cave, not able to get out because if they got out, they would kill somebody. And when Jesus gets to him, he doesn't look at him and say, get back in, be chained up. I'm done with you. I don't want you around me. I don't want to talk to you. You're messed up. I don't want anything to do with you. What does he do? He heals them. So when your spouse is frustrating you, do you reject them? Do you get angry with them? Or do you extend forgiveness like Christ? Brothers, what does it look like to love like Christ? In Mark chapter 1, a man with the most defiling, disgusting disease with his body falling apart because he had leprosy comes up to Jesus on his knees. He begs Jesus for healing. And Jesus doesn't just heal him. Jesus touches him. He touches him and he heals him from all of that so that he might be restored into something good. Brothers and sisters, when you see your spouse in the most difficult season that they are in, when they need the most help, and when they're crying out for help, do you extend your hand for healing and hope? Do you help them become what God has for them? Do you restore them and bring them back? Or do you reject them and kick them out? Marriage is walking with each other through the most difficult seasons and understanding that if God came to save me in my most difficult state, then maybe God came to save them in their most difficult state and he's using me to be a part of it because my God called for me to extend the gospel to them and be a gospel proclaiming to the world so that when the world sees me, they see the gospel through me to my spouse. How do you love your spouse? Do you love your spouse like Christ loves the church? I think about Luke chapter 23 when Jesus is being mocked and beaten on the cross after he's been rejected by his disciples. He's hanging on the cross and there before him are the people who called for him to be mocked and called for him to be crucified. There in front of him are the very people that rejected him. And Jesus calls to his father in some of his last words and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they've done. What does it look like for you to forgive your spouse? Man, this kind of love, brothers, husbands, that kind of love is what Christ has called you to. That kind of love surpasses all the love of this world. Man, when, this, when the world tries to write out love, I want you to look back at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. It says, He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it just as Christ does for the church. What does it look like for you to care for your bride? What does it look like for you to provide for your bride? 
What does it look like for you to protect your bride? What does it look like for you to defend, but also to extend grace and forgiveness to your bride? What does it look like for you to live towards your bride like Christ lives towards you? Love keeps no record of wrong. Turned away from her. Looking the other way. Mad at myself. Just frustrated. Honestly, I thought she was just mad herself. And in that moment, I feel her arms embrace me with love. May you feel the embrace of God's grace and mercy in your life. And when you do, extend that to your spouse. How can I... I, after 11 years, I know everything about my bride, and she knows everything about me. And when she sees me, she sees who God sees me as. And when I see her, I see who God sees her as. How can I not forgive her when God has forgiven her? How can I hold things against her that God doesn't even hold against her? Like, I am his expression of love to her. He is working through me to her, and I'm not going to cling on to what is evil and wicked about her. Instead, rather, I'm going to see her like Christ sees her. Brothers, how do you love your spouse? Ladies, how are you embodying God's mercy and grace and sacrifice and submission to your husband? How are we embodying what Christ has done for us to our spouse? I got, man, I got a, uh, I got an email yesterday. And I was at Dutch Wonderland with my family, you know, and our in-laws get us season passes there. So it's so much fun to take my kids there. They love going there. And we were having so much fun. And the kids were just, you know, having a blast. Of course, it's hot. They're tired. So all those things with it. And, uh, we're having a good time, and I'm, I'm I, honestly, Hattie was sleeping, so I'm pushing her in the stroller, trying to keep her asleep. You know what I'm talking about? It's that like push, it's like rocking them while you push. And my phone buzzes, and I shouldn't have done it because I have the thing set up, but it's an email. And I see this email, and all I see is on the front page, you know, on your iPhone where you can see like just a snippet of what it says. And it was a response to the email that we sent out about marriage resources that we gave you guys. Now, look, our marriage resources are for you guys to find um, uh, healing in your marriage, hope in your marriage, reconnection in your marriage. We want, to, we want you to set up rhythms in your marriage that continue past this month. These resources were built for you to find healing in Christ. That's it. But what this email said was, you guys are all about games. Your marriage is about games. The marriages should be about the gospel. It should be about Ephesians 5. And you know what? I was frustrated. I'm going to be honest. I was frustrated. I'm like, man, when you're trying to help marriages, like, and you get, you're just like, God, what are we doing? <laughs> this is frustrating. But I didn't say, share it with my wife. I didn't, obviously didn't share it with my kids. I didn't share any of that frustration. I tried to just let it go and just enjoy my time. And I thought in my head, man, I'm preaching Ephesians 5 tomorrow. <laughs> this is very ironic. <laughs> but what I want you to hear this morning is this. I don't care if you, my, my brother Garrett loves playing pickleball. Is that what it's called? Pickleball. I don't care if y'all win your games at pickleball. I don't care if you win 
you know, trivia night with your friends. I don't care about the games. I don't care about all that stuff. What I do care about is that you have a Christ-centered, gospel-glorifying, God-honoring marriage. I want you to understand the richness of God's love and mercy and grace in your life to the point where you want to extend it to your spouse. And in God's grace and mercy in your life, you know what? Your marriage is going to be the most joyous, wonderful thing about your life. I hope that the journey of marriage, as it's difficult and and, and you find each other in the worst states, you find each other in all of those things, I hope that you delight in your spouse. I want you to have fun to the point where if you need help financially to go on a date, we'll help you. To the point where if you need help with somebody watching your kids, we'll help you. We have a, a, a marriage date night coming up. Pastor Bill's organizing it. We'll have a re- recommitment night coming up at the end of this month. And look, it's not going to fix everything. But just as my bride and I did on our 10th anniversary, we recommitted our vows to one another. I hope that you can, in front of everybody, recommit your life to your spouse. In front of God, God glorifying and gospel preaching, your marriage will continue to be a rhythm of God's grace and mercy in your life. And I hope you have fun. I hope you enjoy one another. And I hope the gift cards, they go out for restaurants. I don't even know what they all are. They're like, uh, they're for you to go have fun as a spouse. I hope that you'll have an awesome time. If there's anybody in this room who financially can't go on a date, I'll make this commitment to you with my financial leader in the room. Uh, We'll help you to some extent to be able to go on a date because we want you to be able to do that. And because we don't lavishly spend all the money that we have and we reserve it back, we want to make sure that you are able to honor your spouse. So this morning, here's what I ask. I ask that you would consider God's grace and love and mercy in your life in a way that you'd be able to extend it to others. First, your spouse. I hope that you'll consider all of your brokenness and failures, your sin, and how God has forgiven you that you might forgive your spouse. So I thought about it. I thought about how can I love my bride, Rachel? How can I serve her well? And, and everything I say here is, is me preaching to myself, not me just preaching to you. Right, brothers? This is me understanding that I'm committing to this with you. This is me understanding that, that we need to help each other. We need to work through this together. So how can I love my wife like Christ has called me to? If you're like me, there's some days where you're tired, you're frustrated, you're fed up with work. I understand I work here. Just being real. I still love you guys that I work with. But when you're struggling and you get home, and when you're tired from your day, brothers, lay down your pride and serve your wife. When you're anxious and worried, stressed, trust her strength. When you're frustrated, 
Listen to her sharpening you. There's nobody in this world that can sharpen me like Rachel. She knows me better and she wants to make me better. She knows who I can be and she makes me who God created me to be because God is using her to sharpen me like nobody else in this world. Brothers, if you're struggling, let your bride speak into your life. Wives, if you're given the opportunity, be ready with wisdom and prayer. Go before the Lord every single day for your husband that he might be the the guy that God created him to be. And men, stand up with valor and honor, with integrity, that when she's threatened, you protect her. When she falls, you're there to hold her up. When she falters in what God has called her to do, you will lead her. Be the men that God created you to be and don't back down from the difficulty because you're tired from your day at work. Don't back down from the difficulty because you're worried about something that's going on in this world. Don't back down from the, from the responsibility that God has given you because you're stressed about something at work. God has given you a greater responsibility than anything in this world could ever be for you. There's no weight, there's no money, there's no responsibility, there's no job, there's nothing in this world that is greater than the job that God has given you to glorify him in your marriage and to proclaim the gospel by the way that you treat your bride. Will you men be the man that God has created you to be for your spouse? Let go of those records of wrong. Let go of those disappointments and those struggles. Let go of the difficulties of marriage and those difficult seasons. Forgive her like Christ has forgiven you and stand up and lead her like Christ leads you and submit to God with her as Christ leads you to enjoy your marriage and to rejoice in what God has given you in your marriage and to enjoy a life until you get to heaven when God sees you like God sees your bride and God sees you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. You ought to see your bride your entire life, the entirety of your marriage. You ought to see her as what God will declare her to be. She is a good and faithful servant and she is the one that God has called you to lead. Don't you back down from leading her. And my challenge to you men today is this. If God has entrusted you with the responsibility of displaying the gospel to the world by the way that you treat your wife, By the way that y'all engage the world, will you take upon yourself this responsibility in a way that is God-glorifying and gospel-preaching? When the world sees your marriage, will they hear the gospel? When the world sees your marriage, will they see Jesus' love on display by the way that you love her? Will you, this morning, take on the responsibility of loving God's daughter, his chosen one, whom he died for, will you love her like he does? That's his daughter. So brothers, do you feel the calling of God on your life to love them like Christ loves you? Do you embrace the responsibility of showing the world Christ-like patience with your spouse, grace towards her, love with her, and hope for your marriage? Just real talk this morning. My good friend, I don't, I don't see him. He must be downstairs. Dom sent me a text yesterday. You were on the chain with him, G. And uh, I think it was something like this, G. You may have to look at your phone. I don't, I don't know word for word, but he said something like this. I'm thankful to have a pastor who speaks and isn't scared of saying the truth. And so this morning, I want to do that out of reverence to God's word. 
Yet I want you to know at the same time, sometimes I'm shaking in my boots and my wife knows this. Sometimes I'm, 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 I'm not exactly the, the courageous man that you might think I am, but I know this, I gotta be faithful to God's word and what it says. And so this morning I wanna tell you something and I understand this might, be, uh, this might impact some marriages this morning and I hope that in God's grace he will, he will revive your marriage and restore your marriage and you can work from this. But I wanna tell you something that a, fr- a phrase that has become part of our culture that is so anti-gospel that I wanna call it out. And I wanna call it out in front of you because I hope that it wakes up, a, wakes up something in your life like a light bulb. It wakes up something in your life and set you on a pursuit of God like nothing else in this world has ever before. I hope that it will help you in your mentorships. I hope that it will help you in your marriage, and I hope that it will help you as you prepare for marriage. And that is this, this anti-gospel statement when spouses say, we're going to stay together for the kids. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is not we're going to stay together for the kids. The gospel's not we're going to stay together for anything. The gospel's not we're going to stay together because of finances. The gospel's not we're going to stay together because we have a house together. The gospel's not we're going to stay together because we're pregnant. The gospel's not any of those things. The gospel is you're going to stay together because you're going to love and sacrifice your life for your spouse. The gospel is, I'm not just going to be okay. I'm not just going to put up with. I'm not just going to live with. I'm not just going to be beside. I'm not just going to share finances. I'm not just going to provide for. I'm going to be everything that Christ was for her, for her. I'm going to extend the same kind of love and mercy and grace that God gives to her, to her. I'm going to make her the best she can be because I've chosen to be what Christ is for her because he called me to be that. And I'm going to take that responsibility on my life. I'm not going to stick with her because of some futile thing that this world provides. I'm not going to stick with her because somebody told me I got to. I'm not going to stick with her because I'll lose my job if I don't. I'm going to stick with her because I'm going to love her like Christ loves her. Man, these anti-gospel statements. Well, you know what we're going to do, church? Westminster Baptist Church, you know what we're going to do? We're going to display the gospel so well in our marriages. We're going to preach it so well in our marriages. We're going to honor God so well in our marriages that we're going to rewrite what people view of the marriage is. We're going we're gonna to show people God's gospel and God's mercy and love towards one another so well in this community that this community is going to go, I want what they have. And we're not going to back down from that. We're not going to give up on that, church. We're going to fight for it. You've got to fight. Am I right? You got to fight, Steve. Been married for many, how many years have you been married? You got it right, Sharon? You got it right? 52 years. You got to fight for that, Steve. Am I right? G, how many years have you been married? Less than a year. <laughs> Brother, you got to fight to love her like Christ loves her. If you don't, you know, I'll get you. Paul, how many years you been married? See, right? You gotta fight. You gotta fight. You gotta fight. We cannot back down from the responsibility of loving our bride like God called us to. So this morning, I'm gonna ask you for the next month to commit. Man, you know, month can't. I'm not. I don't know what God's going to do. God could change your life right now if his spirit wants to. You don't need no month. But for the next month, we're going to put in all we got to help you in your marriage. And so for the next month, I want to ask you to join me 
in committing to a month of healthy marriage. Maybe as, uh, I don't want to be naive to think that maybe there's not somebody in this room who's suffering and just struggling and wrestling even in this moment with the words I've said because you've been through a divorce. And right now you're alone in this room. Look, God has extended you. It would be ridiculous for me to talk about God's grace, love, and mercy this entire time and look at you and act like God hasn't extended you mercy. If you're in here today and you've wrestled with that and you're struggling and you're hurting right now from those thoughts, I want you to know this. God, mm, God's not done with you. He didn't give up on you. Don't give up on yourself. If you're in here in this room today, and man, this wrecks me, and you've lost your spouse, it might be hard for you to sit through the next few weeks. But here's what I'm asking you to do with all of us. If you're preparing for marriage, which I know some of you are, if you're in marriage, or if God's going to use you to mentor marriages, will you commit to a month of healing in your marriage? of creating rhythms in your marriage that are God-honoring, of restoring your passion and excitement back to that day when you said, yes, I will take this bride as my wife. To see her like he sees her. I was reading a book. I'll close with this as the band comes. I was reading a book and it was like, Paul David Tripp. If you think love is wrapped up in image, wait till you find a love that is wrapped up in Christ. Because there's no greater love in this world than the love you'll find for your spouse when you find the love of Christ. So may you day by day, year by year, decade by decade. Learn to delight in each other more and more as you follow after Jesus and extend his love towards your spouse. As we go into a time of worship, we're going we're gonna to play one more worship song. And as we do, um, if you will, Ram, kill the lights. And I, I just want to ask you just to uh, take a moment. If you will, just close your eyes even right now. And we're going to just take a, a moment of commitment. And here's what this commitment is going to look like. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. And so as you take the Lord's Supper, I want to challenge you to think through anything you are holding against your spouse. The Lord's Supper says that we not go into it before we've forgiven one another. And maybe that means right now that you actually just need to leave and you need to go have a discussion with your spouse. Maybe you all need to find a room here. Maybe you need to go home. And ha- that's totally fine. Look, nobody's judging you. And if they do, you tell me and I'll talk to them. This is not a place of judgment for that. Okay, I want you to find hope and healing in your marriage. And whatever that means, maybe you need to walk out. Maybe you need to go find a corner. Maybe you just need to talk to your spouse. Maybe you right now in this moment need to forgive your spouse of something. Whatever it is, before we take the Lord's Supper, I want you to be preparing your heart. If you're in here and you're single and you're like, man, I don't know what God wants from me. Look, maybe God's going to call you to singleness for the rest of your life. That doesn't mean you can't invest in marriages. You know why? The guy who just spoke to us about marriages was single. So I don't know what God's using you for right now in this moment. But I know that God isn't finished with you. 
And so if God is still using you, what is he doing right now in your hearts? What do you need to prepare right now in your hearts as you take the Lord's Supper? And as you do, as one church united together because of the blood of Jesus Christ by one faith, one baptism, one Lord who, who is over all, as we partake in the Lord's Supper, I want you to be thinking about your spouse. I want you to think about how you've forgiven her and extended grace and love and mercy and forgiven him and extended grace, love and mercy like Christ has given you. And as you take that Lord's Supper and you remember that Christ died on the cross and was raised from the dead, that his body was given for you and blood was spilled out for you, as you remember those things, extend your spouse love, grace, and mercy. Prepare your heart not to hold wrongs against your spouse in the future. And commit to a month of rhythms and healing in your marriage. Let me pray for you. God, we love you. We trust you. We need you in our marriages. We need you in our lives. We need you in our relationships. Father, we need you in every single thing that we have. And we thank you for your mercy and your grace that's been given to us. I thank you, Father, for your son, Jesus Christ, who has given everything so that we might have life. And I pray, Father, that the men in this room will step up and give everything that their brides might have life. I pray, Father, that the women in this room would extend grace and love and mercy and pray and hope and bring life to their husbands. And I pray, God, that in joyful submission, they will delight in their husband. And I pray, Father, that in joyful sacrifice, their husbands will delight in their wives. And God, as only you can do, work a miracle in this room right now. Restore marriages, restore broken hearts, save us from our sin, and bring us into what life you have for us. You promised it. We believe it. We trust you, God. We pray this in your son's name. Amen you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.